0: You're listening to Irish Radio Canada, Abroad, and I am honoured to be able to sit across from Diana anniversary Kroger. It's been a while since Diana and I have had a chat. Diana, thanks a million.
1: Oh my gosh, you're very welcome. Now you're bringing me to thinking how long is it since we have seen one another? It's
0: I don't know, but I think I it was over it? dinner to start with and then we had to set and went down to the basement. Well,
1: uh, Yeah, your we basement. Had, basement. Base, <laughs> funny basement you have, I'll tell
2: you.
0: <laughs> I, think we've, I don't know do we've done it up since then. but. <laughs> We have the big screen down there where we would be able to watch your documentary, which we'll be talking about because there's documentaries and all sorts of things. But what we're going to talk about today initially is you have a book that is just hitting the shelves to speak for the trees. My life's journey from ancient Celtic wisdom to a healing vision of the forest. That's,
1: um, that's, the, that's the name of it all right, it's a big long name isn't it? It, I-
0: it is, yeah. but to speak for the trees mm-hmm. um, What was it, if, uh, Whispering Grass? Don't no. tell it to the trees because the trees don't need to know Yeah,
2: yeah Is yeah. that
0: the way, it d- 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 do the trees need to know or do we need to know?
1: Oh, you know if I was an Aboriginal woman the uh, thinking uh, of an Aboriginal woman would be that the trees need to know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They are, are so immersed in nature. They're so immersed in, in the old thinking that they have. They would look at it that way. Um, and we come from a more mercenary point of view, and we think we need to know. Um, and nature has been up for sale now uh, for, for quite a long time. But that means we have our own souls
0: up for sale.
1: Um,
0: When you say nature has been up for sale, is it not a case that uh, nature to some degree has been bought even though it wasn't necessarily up for sale?
1: It has been bought, but it's also the thought of it is also up for sale. Right. I buy this land so I can divide it into three pieces so I can make money off it at some time. Okay. Or I buy this... Tree and it's the, the forester will look at it. That's a two by four. Or we're surrounded here by black walnuts. And actually, if you look around here, the black walnuts. Uh, somebody would look at them and say, "My God, they're very. They're uh, worth a lot of money." Right. But they're actually worth more standing and growing than they are actually as a, a fund of money into your bank.
0: And again, that in effect is the difference between short-term, immediate instant gratification and long term appreciation for the impact that anything is going to have on all of us.
1: Yeah, and that's part of Western the Western world and the Eastern world too, is that short term short term thinking about everything. You buy something, you throw it out, you have your compost you have your your dumps full of things. You have we're dumping our plastic into out into Asia. We're dumping everything around. You know, out of my way, out of my way, get the money to me. And I call that the Church of the Holy Dollar.
0: So, given the tendency to want instant gratification or very quick solutions, that represents a tremendous challenge for something like climate change and for trying to undo the damage that has been done because it can't be done. Instantly, or it can't be done quickly.
1: Yeah, it's like training a dog, isn't it? You know, you're training a guard dog. You're training a guard dog to bark when some stranger comes Mm -hmm. into your house. And to untrain a, a, a guard dog to not do that requires a hell of a lot of love for the dog. And I think what we need is a hell of a lot of love for the planet and the people in the planet and treat them with fairness. And I think then we can start changing our ways. But we've got used to the easy way of living. We've got used to, I call it, I call it my life, you start with one boiling hen. Um, And how I live, I live very simply here. And everything I have, I appreciate and Chris and I, my husband Christian and I, we will work and rework and refix and redesign and redo things so we get the maximum out of everything. And it is not a throwaway society here, mm-hmm. here in this house. Mm-hmm. And I'd like, I'd like the thinking, uh, if, well, whether I like it or not, we have to change that thinking. We can't have a throwaway society anymore because we have too many people on this planet and we don't have enough goods for them. That's the simple
0: thing. One of the criticisms that's often leveled against people who express a desire for a green planet, for uh, care of climate change and for all these things, um, is an accusation that you're not walking the walk. And by that, um, because... We live in a society for you to get from here to another point. You either have to drive or you have to to you You have to consume some of the things that are a problem and because you have not totally cut yourself out from all this you 're a bit of a hypocrite, and that sometimes tends to be an accusation that is leveled and Yet, what I would have to I say is that you recognize that being a realist in order to achieve a goal, you have to do some of these things that they're not the best but there is no alternative at this point in time
1: yeah when we built this house Chris and I uh, built this place we bought 60 acres to start off with and we didn't want to have a mortgage we didn't want to borrow money And as a matter of fact then as a woman I couldn't borrow money in Canada you couldn't do it Um, the first thing we bought each one of us a lighter hammer for me and a heavier hammer for him And we bought our boards up in Iron Pryor and we built this house ourselves with a saw, not with any electricity because we didn't have electricity. Mm -hmm. And all of Chris's friends from the Apollo system, the rocket propulsion engineers and the designers of the Apollo system itself came up here. And the whole lot of us had a big party when we built the house. Right. And so what we had is manpower coming in here. And, of course, they're all total lunatics, all these people are, you know, they are a different kind of set of brilliant people. So this is how the house was built, and so this is our home. Um, And for me, I know I drive a car. Mm -hmm. I do know that I use gas. But what we try to do, Chris and I try to do, we have a huge shopping list shopping list that goes maybe once every six weeks Mm -hmm. and we do the the journey down to Brockville Mm -hmm. and get all our stuff down there or you know that we need and come back up here it's trying to be organized and rather than using your car every day and all the time how about walking we do do a Mm -hmm. lot of walking Um, Of course we do that, and I do recognise even if there's climate change there, we still do need a source of oil, we do need a source of diesel, that has to be there, it has to be a given. But we don't have to own three and four and five cars, we don't have to have land vehicles, we don't have to have all of these things, because if we do do have them, somebody else won't.
0: And where I'm coming from, and and as you point out, you you recognise that in the world we live, fossil fuels are a necessity but it's at the rate that we're using them and the, and the consequences of that rate is causing the problem and that if we were to all of us try to be a lot more responsible and organized that we could all greatly reduce Yeah. and as a result of that reduction some way repair some of the damage
1: yeah absolutely and we can have smaller cars and we can have i remember being very young in ireland and i had a mini and i got 63 miles to the gallon in my mini I mean, it was kind of a tinker's mini, but you go to Japan and it's the same thing in Japan. They have tiny little cars, tiny little little trucks, and they they have a huge amount of 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 gallonage out of those tiny little trucks. Do we have to have the you know the Porsches and the Jaguars and the show off? We don't have to have. We're only going all of us from point A to point B.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: But I think that. Um, I think that we have to rethink our energy systems, um, and that actually is happening I, I, in quantum mechanics. They're finding down at Berkeley and in different places in Russia and so on and so forth, the scientists are finding that um, you have the phenomenon of of, uh, the string theory actually kind of works you have the phenomenon of photons being in two places at one time this is a recent discovery of electrons being in two places called entanglement and it is probably the most unique jump ahead for energy that we have. And Einstein knew about it, he called it this spooky experience of electrons. But we're now finding photons do that. So if photons do that, that means that we can gear up into quantum mechanics, into quantum computers, into quantum systems. And I think that there is um, a light at the end of the tunnel for our energy and it is within that system because the sun is free. Mm see we can we can focus the Sun into different systems here and get free energy via electricity right so so in some ways I'm not too worried about things like that, I'm to worry about the immediate future, Mm -hmm. that we've altered the ecosystems of the planet to such a degree that we're going to be affecting enormous storms, the soil that nobody ever talks about actually has been changing, Mm -hmm. the quality of the soil is changing, and with climate change we're going to have less nutrition in our food, which is a big thing Mm -hmm. for pregnant mothers and for young children. All of those things are right there. So my idea with this book is that you look after the forests. The forests are really the mediators of the atmosphere, um, and they're the mediators of the atmosphere. And these experiments are called cloud chamber experiments that have been done, and the the aerosols from trees and from forests go into the atmosphere and they're like a dog with a tail. The tail is a hydroxyl tail and that gathers together all kinds of moisture around it and that that is the initiation of moisture. It's the initiation of cloud patterns. It's the initiation of our weather all across the planet and we've only just kind of discovered that. We didn't actually know there was the physics... That was there, which was behind, actually, the movement of our weather patterns. And it's all dependent on great forests. We should have been smart enough and looked at what happened to the Aztecs and, and Babylon and other places in the world. When they ran out of water, they ran out of their life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We, we didn't actually know the scientific experiments behind it. Now we know. And what we have done in the world is we've taken down too much forest. And by taking down too much forest, what we've actually done is the forest has got another absolutely extraordinary system attached to it. All over the Earth. You look at the, you look at the planet itself, you have the Earth, the, the, the part of the continents, the land part of the planet, is very rich in iron. It's very, very rich in Australia, it's rich in Canada, it's rich in PEI. It's rich all over the planet. And the seas are impoverished with iron. And we didn't know this until really um, a colleague of mine, Matsunaga, in, in, J- in Japan, who is the marine top marine chemist in Japan, found that a humic acid, and humic acid is a huge molecular structure which is found in the leaves of trees. And in the fall, when the leaves fall on the ground, they get cut off by abscisic acid, slip off, and they fall on the ground. That actually has a function to protect the whole planet. And the, the humic acid breaks up into little acids called fulvic acids. And fulvic acids grab the iron of the land, go out into the great oceans, and release the, the iron into the seas that iron initiates another miraculous thing to happen it fires up the nitrogenase enzymes which build all the protein in all of the species, all of the algae of the sea all of the huge columns of, of micro uh, microplankton and microlife in the sea and then when they get so much protein during the night they divide. That's <coughs> the feeding foundation Of the oceans, for the whales, for all of the fish, for everything in the ocean comes from the land. And we've only just discovered this.
0: So then, if you're telling me that basically when the fall comes and we get all these leaves hitting the ground, (coughs) us being fastidious and cleaning up and being tidy is actually doing damage.
1: Actually we can use the leaves as a source of mulch for our gardens Mm -hmm. and things like that but the leaves are preparing the ground for for the seeds coming down from the trees themselves preparing Mm -hmm. the ground for their children and that's the beginning of a forest.
0: Okay, now um, recently and you may or may not have seen a headline that uh, the Irish government made a statement that their goal was to plant in Ireland 400 million trees. Uh, within, I think, the next twenty odd years or something, um, is something like that practical, realistic, um, as an effort to try to reverse some of the problem. And by that I mean, is it an overambitious, unrealistic political statement? And you Uh-oh. know the size of the the landmass. Yeah, we're I do.
1: About. I do actually. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Um, but what they have to do, and people have to keep an eyeball on this, the trees that they plant have to be native species, mm-hmm. because Ireland was a cloud forest. It was a deciduous rainforest once upon a time. That is what the species are there. They have to plant native species, native Irish species. Mm-hmm. That means the Quercus robur, all of the oaks, the Irish oaks, the seaside oak, has to be planted in, and the... Um, the, the birches have to be planted in um, and the Scots pine have to be planted in because that was an indigenous species of Ireland. That mm-hmm. was one of the willows, the sacred trees of Ireland. Um, they have to plant native trees into native areas, not choose the species from from the west coast of Canada which is what, what they have been doing And those plantations in Ireland, now they're trying to dig up because it's been destroying the water in the lakes and it's been changing the pH of the lakes so the fish and the trout can't survive. Mm -hmm. So the balance of nature is so fine that you can make big mistakes doing things like this. And also, I think, in Ireland, they're very free with their pesticides, Mm -hmm. they're very free with their fungicides, and what has been happening... All over the world is that the load of fungicides and pesticides they're killer compounds Mm -hmm. going into people the same the same biochemical pattern that is in the tree or in in a crop let's say is the same biochemical pattern in a human being and I think we are altering the genome of people by doing this and we're certainly creating a huge amount of cancers so When they're planting them, trees, plant them, just plant them. Forget your pesticides, forget your your insecticides, forget all your fungicides, plant the blinking trees, let them grow, let them look after themselves, and then Ireland will have a forest.
0: So in effect, what you're saying is that by introducing non-native species, you could actually be doing as much damage, even though in one way you may think you're uh, trying to solve the problem. You're creating another another problem that is as serious.
1: Which is sometimes even more serious. What they did in California, all down California they took out the red ones. The red, Sequoia Semperverans, the big redwoods Mm -hmm. in California. There are not many of them left as a matter of fact. Muir Woods is there but there are not many left. But what they did is some people went off to Australia And took the eucalyptus and thought, oh my God, these are marvellous trees in Mm -hmm. Australia, which they are, they're fantastic. So they took the Australian eucalyptus and planted them in California. Mm. But what they didn't realise is that the eucalyptus doesn't just shed its leaves, it sheds its bark. and its bark is full of resins and its bark is like having explosives on the ground so if you fire a match or a cigarette butt into the bark of the eucalyptus you have a flash fire in absolute seconds Mm -hmm. and this is the beginning and the, the initiation of the weather patterns happening here, you have more thunderstorms and lightning strikes. Mm-hmm. The lightning strikes hit the eucalyptus and the whole place in California was on fire mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's the beginning. That's a, such a stupid thing, but you have to... It's so simple to fix.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, the, because the trees in California are fire resistant, mm-hmm. so they put these fire bombs in on top of them, so they've lost an enormous amount of forest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, You've got to be careful and do consultation when you're doing these big promises. Right. That you're doing the right thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Um, Moving back to the book, to speak for the trees, Um, as I understand it, the um, um, old druidic methods Mm -hmm. are something that you were educated on Mm -hmm. very early in life. Yeah. And (laughs) um, as you've come through life and as you've uh, yeah. gone through your career I guess you've seen uh, changes to such a degree that you kind of must be looking and saying you know if only things were back the way they were um, so the trees um, to speak for the trees as as I said when we started out there um, you are saying and telling us that within the forest the trees speak to us
1: yeah Yeah they do, they have a chemical conversation with us and somehow in the time of the Druids that's around the time of Christ the Druids actually knew there was a communication between the sky and the forest they knew that by observation I mean we can't assume, well Druids is a collective name for all the physicians and astronomers and, and the people of learning that were the elite people of learning that, of Ireland that were known all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean Ireland was the land of saints and scholars and scholars for many many reasons are brilliant people have come out of Ireland. Um, they knew that connection was there though they didn't know the chemistry of it. They didn't know that a tree produces oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, They knew that you go into a forest um, and they knew that there was a cleansing happening in the forest, a cleansing of the soul in some instances and a communication with the trees. And what would happen is that you were you had bronchitis because Ireland is very wet Mm -hmm. and people have colds and flus. And I mean, that's that's the tune that we've known as children in Ireland and to actually on air glum the clean air. Uh, you go out go out and get some clean air, go out and get some fresh air came from druidic folklore
2: right.
1: uh, go out and get the fresh air, the fresh air will be good for you, but it's not it's actually a a greater burden of oxygen in the air which actually cleans your lungs and somehow, the druids know that the druids had the the the, the doctors, the oluna of the druids had the greatest amount of materia medica ever held by any nation anywhere in the world and it's now held in the bodleian library and it's also held in spain it's all in old gaelic nobody has actually looked to translate those 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 manuscripts which is kind of interesting, because in Ireland, of course, we were taken over by the English, Mm -hmm. and so we were, just like the Aboriginal people here, we were told we were nothing but savages and idiots, and so you you tell somebody that often enough, and you start to believe it. Mm -hmm. But we weren't. We were very, very far from that.
0: So when you say, yeah, you went out for a bit of fresh air, there's much more in the forest than just fresh air.
1: Oh, yeah. Now, the 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 thinking the thinking then at the time was to go in for spirituality mm-hmm. to go into the into the forest. And I would take the concept of walking in the forest, um the same somewhat the same as the sweat lodges of North America because the chemistry is the same. You have alpha and beta pinines, you've got all kinds of chemical silis. silic silicates, silis, silis-, silis-, silis- salicylic acids and lactones of salicylic acid, ketones of salicylic acid 22 compounds from willows which actually help you to to um, get rid of anxieties and depressions And but they were all used all of those things were used and I mean it was unspeakable when I was in Lachine's um, that any one of the kids would not know there were the sally bushes and the the, the, the gar- Sally gardens were used by everybody and they were used to make the pannier baskets for mm-hmm. the donkeys for carrying turf, all the kids knew that, but today you'd ask a child, well you know, what were they used for, it? were there any use for the willows, nobody would know mm-hmm. so that knowledge has all been lost and uh, it's lost I think and the, ch- the hens, you know, the hens always laid in willow baskets because they were aseptic and they put straw at the bottom, and the the hens would get up the basket. But it was comfortable for the hens, and they didn't have all of the lice that hens have now here in North America. Mm -hmm. So there was method in their madness all the time. Mm -hmm. They knew what they were doing. There was a reason behind everything. And as a child, you were told those reasons. And to some extent, I was taken in Brehan Worship and told all those reasons too. So, but the things I was told were all things of the spirit um and the triads of body, mind, and soul as an irish person you You always think of your body, you feed your body, and we're always very careful of our minds, and we're even more careful of our of our souls, the spiritual world, the subconscious movement of subconscious between people um and also, I was taught a thing called. Um, a kind of a form of telepathy and the telepathy is for me, I, the only way I can call it is running a string on somebody mm-hmm. I can run a string on people that I'm attached to and then I'll pull the string and I remember one day this is several years ago, my agent from New York came up here to visit me and I always know when he's going to call me because I have a string run on him right. and Stuart came into the house and he said, well you have what is it, phone uh, Voice identification, is that what it's called on the phone?
0: Uh, um, caller ID.
1: Yeah, caller ID. So he strolled over to the phone and he looked at my phone and he said, Diana, you have no caller ID. And I said, no, I don't. But he said, you always know when I'm going to call. You all—you answer me. You know." I said, well, I always know it's you. And I said, you're not the only one. I have a string run and a whole pile of people. Right. And I said, as a matter of fact, I know if you're sick, I know if you're well, I know how you're doing. And he said, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this freaks me out. And I said, well, it's something that I was taught how to, to protect myself using this. So I said, don't worry, like, you know, I'm not going to harm you with that. But it's something that I know how to do.
0: But then is this something that all of us potentially could have, but that as society has developed, uh, uh, that we have... Lost, lost it. Have we have been yeah. shut, away, shut it down?
1: Yeah, like you know, you remember your first child, right? Um, when you held your baby, boy or girl, doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Mm-hmm. And we're talking man here. We're talking mm-hmm. woman. It doesn't really matter. There, it, I, I'm asking you to go back in memory now for something. Mm-hmm. There is the feeling of the body of that child against your chest because you hold the child against mm-hmm. your chest is right
0: Yeah, after the fear because the initial was the fear that I'm now going to take this precious little thing and I, I don't, I've never handled anything like this before
1: no, so fragile
0: so, so fragile yeah, yeah, you
1: get rid of the fragility Yeah, get rid of that thought out of your head um but you hold your baby, yeah. you hold that child. And if you hold another person's child shortly after that, that child feels wrong to you.
0: Yeah. Do you
1: have that memory? Yeah, yeah. Do you have that memory? Yeah. Well, there it is right there. Uh,
0: and even, I would say, right at any point that there is a comfort or a, a bond between, uh, I can remember with my, even with the grandkids. Yeah. That right. That. Yeah. That. There's something there that if I pick somebody else's child up, it's different. when someone say here, hold the baby, it's and I hold, it's not the same. It's no. not the
1: same. No, no. No. And it's exactly that I'm talking about. And we. I was taught to retain that. Okay. I was taught to retain those memories.
0: Well, when you said taught, because again, to me, if I think back to when I was small and my experiences as I was growing up um, I learnt from what was going on around me and absorbed as distinct from anybody saying this is how people interact, this is emotion, this is sense
1: I had to be taught that you see, Austin, I had to be taught that because you see you had your parents Uh And your parents there's a natural osmosis that happens with parents because they love you they love you they hate you you love them you hate them right uh-huh. but it's a constancy that's there a, d- a degree of love g- varies within you know parents and children right. all the time but that's your parents you trust them right but you see I had to learn to trust again
0: right so
1: see I had to in, learn ironically
0: to then one would have to say that the misfortune that befell you
1: yeah.
0: has turned into a powerful fortune.
1: It has turned into something that is very, very powerful that I always put it to the test. Mm-hmm. I al- in the medical libraries I put it to the test, the things I was taught. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it has saved my life. Mm-hmm. It has protected me and saved my life. And it has allowed me to do what I have done. It has allowed me to make decisions um, uh, and, dis- and have the strength to do decisions and have the courage. I always say that the things they taught me, they taught me courage. Courage for a woman. Courage within a woman. Um, and for me, I talk about to myself, I think I have my courage in a suitcase. This is how I think about it. Mm-hmm. I put my courage into my suitcase and I carry my suitcase with me. Because I've done some very courageous things in my life, mm-hmm. I think, that could have been quite damaging to me at some times of my life, but I have kept on going. And I was told, when they were finished with the Brehan Worship, they told me that the knowledge and the person I had become, I was supposed to be educated as much as could be possible. And I was to carry that into the new world, because the time of now... This is the time of Paumi the Kela. This is the time of of we are getting together. And all the things they told me have happened. Who's they? Uh, well, there were the 22 people, or 20, 22 people, in in the Valley of Lachine's that were pulled upon as being the most wise and mm-hmm. have the greatest load of wisdom. And I'd be told on a Thursday... You know, a runner would come to the farmhouse and, Diana, you've got to go up to, you know, James Jerry Mike's place. You've got to go up to, you know, the Murphy's place. You've got to go up to, you know, you've got to go up to the O'Flynn's place. Um, And they were from the the Blasket Islands. They Mm -hmm. were all gale tucks. And I'd go up there and they would spend an afternoon telling me things.
0: Moving on, a relatively short period Mm -hmm. of time. Yeah. That could never happen today.
1: Oh, God, well, that's what I was asking you earlier on. Um, it's shocking. You know, You know, Austin, that's a real shocking thing for me. For me, I came here to this country, okay, and I was young, and I thought, Ireland, in your stupidity, you think Ireland is always going to stay the same? You think that the stories are always going to be there? I mean, I knew the Seánachí that came into the house... I knew him, I mean he was like kind of you know, a rubbly kind of fellow yeah, and his yeah. nose were always unkempt and he looked at it as never seen an iron in all of his life. Yeah. But which he hadn't of course.
0: And he had a rope and around so his waist. Yeah, and the coat yeah,
1: that's right, you know, he'd yeah. come with a straw cross, his mouth chewing yeah. on something. Yeah. And you 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 would think there's a constancy in the memory and there's a constancy of the people. And I thought, Well, maybe if those people died because they were, they were in their 70s, 80s and 90s died there'd be more to fill in and, and, and all of the cures that were passed through the valley and the cures were uh, based on honor you never paid for a cure with hmm. money you paid for a cure with a thank you you were never your hands were never crossed with right. silver for cures right. i thought that would always be always like that then i came to north america and when i went back to ireland was such a shock and I've been back there three months ago again. I've been looking for that.
0: It's gone. Yeah, now, when, when we talk in this context, yes, because when we talked a little earlier on, before we, we yeah. turned on the, the microphones, um, I said I'd been out in any year and how, yes, there was definitely um, a continuation of what would have been rural Ireland. Irish culture, yeah, and likewise around Galway, there's a vibrancy yeah. that's there. But when we talk in terms of the the deeper level of somebody being reared, as uh, uh, was said by a former president of Ireland, Mary Robinson, that it takes a village to ra- to rear. What was happening in your case was it was taking a village yeah, to yeah, rear. But I don't know if in that environment could happen today for so many reasons um, first of all you would have the HSE coming in or Tusla or somebody else the same as the um, uh, Children's Aid Society, Children's here. Aid
1: Society yeah. it's all
0: regulated
1: yeah yeah
0: and I know in your situation that there was necessary to fight even then to fight regulation
1: Yeah, well the thing is what happened to me is that I was as an orphan, I was an orphan in Cork, Mm -hmm. Cork, the city of Cork and I was supposed to go up to the Magdalene Laundry,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is the same here as the residential schools. Mm-hmm. And the Magdalene Laundry was up in as well, and it was a prison. The wall was maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 feet tall, and it was gated. It was a gated area, and all of the iron bars were on the, the windows, even of of the place inside. And nothing but priests were going in there, because mm-hmm. I went up to spy I wanted to see what the heck was going on and I didn't like the look of it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what I had to go in would be uh, to wash the clothes for the people in the city of Cork because it was a laundry. Mm-hmm. And that is what I would have to do, you know, from morning till night going mm-hmm. in there. And what happened to me is that my father's family are Beresford's, that's Lord, you know, Lord John Hubert is, has just died fairly recently, but the family are, and they're all, the Earls of Tyrone, the same mm-hmm. crowd, are, and the seat is at Carramore. Um And uh, then what happened was the judge called me into his chambers and he was really, really upset because the Beresford's are not the sweetest of people on this, on God's own earth. And he said, I might lose my judgeship because they're all M- they were all MPs over in England at the time. And he said, if I put you into the Magdalene Laundry, he said, this is where you should go. He said, I think I might lose my job. He said, I think there's a high chance that I lose my job. And I, and I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just a little kid mm-hmm. wearing my uniform and stuff. And he said, where do you want to go? Can I give you to your uncle? And he said, Well, Paddy's a fine man. Well, Paddy don't know who, was Rocky Dunahou, who played hurling with, with uh, Jack Lynch. Mm-hmm. And so he was highly thought of. And I said, Yeah, I'll live with my uncle. we yeah, mm-hmm. will go and live with him. And he said, Then he's, these are the curfew conditions I have. Uh, you know, I had to be in at 10 o'clock. I had to behave myself. And behave myself, you know, was quite strict. I had very strict rules over me. And then I had to be seen at court four times a year. So I had to get a barrister and a lawyer to go in to see the judge four times a year to say that I was behaving myself.
0: And they never told about your escapades.
1: Oh, they never knew about some of those (laughs) escapades that I got (laughs) up (laughs) to. And that was always down in in the country. But the funny thing is I lived a double life even then because I went to a private girls' school Uh and they were all... Busily modernising themselves. Okay. You remember that. You were part of that mm. regime where you were looking to America where the, where the streets were paved with gold or England was paved with gold one way or the other. Right. And you were throwing out the old ways. But I didn't realise everybody was throwing out all the old idioms, all the old fish of I, I didn't know that.
0: None of us did. If I think it was subconscious, and I, when we talk about the always, yeah. I remember being on the Iron Islands a number of years ago. I brought my mother out, yeah, and uh, I was chatting with one of the um, guys out there, and yeah. he commented about that it, they had Connacht Irish and Hollywood English.
1: Oh God, that's a very very interesting comment.
0: Because he said they were learning their English from the television.
1: Yeah, that's right. The, the 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 blue light in the kitchens was right. on. And I remember, I must have been in my 20s, late 20s, I went down to Arday, down in Kerry, County Kerry, and all of the, there was darkness in all of the houses, you know, all of the, the farmhouses. And a couple of years after that, I went back down to Arday, and there was the blue light in all the kitchens. Right. And I, I was married then, my husband said to me, Ireland is going to change because Walt Disney is coming into Ireland.
0: Right. Right. So in the sense that you talk about you see, I would not have been conscious that change was happening because it's a bit like putting the uh, frog in the in the water on the range. Yeah. You've gradually increased the temperature you're not even aware. You're not
1: even aware of it yeah. and and I was well, I was told that that would happen. Yeah. But I I didn't quite believe it. You know, you're taught all these things and it's not your parents teaching you. These are people coming in with the love in their heart to look after you and Mm -hmm. make sure you survive. Um, So there's a bit of doubt in your mind. For me there is. Maybe other people uh, will believe more than me. But I always had a doubt. I had the scientific doubt in my head. Is this true? Is this true? And then you find, yeah, what they said is true and it's kind of a shock.
0: Would you say then that as a result of the life's education because um, of the circumstances that you would have paid more attention to your community teachers and questioned intelligently what you were being presented with whereas my situation being reared in what you describe as the Environment where uh, nurturing is there um, would be more often inclined to rebel against my own environment in a different way. I wasn't
1: allowed to rebel.
0: No, I I don't mean it that way. I mean
1: that the intelligent uh, questions of, of 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 asking. Is this right or is that right? Or is you know, should I go, yeah, yeah, because like that my opens, I, that opens the dialogue,
0: yes, because the so dialogue
1: is with your parents, because side. your
0: parents weren't yeah. there, yeah, that you had these outsiders spending time with you, yeah, that that encouraged greater questioning, uh, both internally and expressionally. Whereas, yeah. because I had my parents question would have, was more of an act of rebellion.
1: You know something, Austin? Somebody said, when I was doing the film, because I wrote the director script for the film Call of the Forest, uh, one of the film people um, said to me, I've never met anybody as open to, to, to life as you are. Open and bringing it in, drinking it in and examining it and putting it away and accepting it. And I never thought of myself that way until they said that to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it is because what you're talking about, because there was a great diversity of people. Mm-hmm. There were all different kinds of bumps and warts. And yeah, I mean, as a child, you look at people and you see, oh, well, he's got a limpy leg and he's got this and he's mm-hmm. got, or she's got that. or, or," uh, But they all came in and I had to accept them as my teachers. And I did accept them as my teachers um, and found. That they were making me feel that everybody is equal.
0: And I guess also when you would have questioned, you were not questioning their authority, whereas in a parent child relationships, it's often perceived you're questioning authority.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It definitely. I wasn't questioning their I was grateful for what they were giving me.
0: And you were questioning yeah. the content.
1: The content, yeah. 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 And I was very grateful for their kindness. You know, you know, in all the time uh, when I went back, I've got a, a, a friend in Ireland called Betty McGee, and uh, Betty, Betty, they had seven kids in that family, and her her father was the harbour master, and her mother was a beautiful, beautiful, dark-haired woman. All oh God, she was a gorgeous woman, and um, in all of the time being under the wards of court, the brand wardship, the whole blinking thing, nobody had ever said to me, you're valuable. Nobody had ever said anything kind to me. And one day I was going up to Betty's house, and I must have been about 15 at the time, and I couldn't bear to go into her house. I always stayed on the doorstep. Because there was a the happy laughter between the mother and the father and all the kids. There were always, they were a right bunch and they were just a merry bunch of kids. And mm. a mother played golf and they were just marvellous. I couldn't bear. It just broke me. I couldn't, I knew I'd start crying because mm-hmm. I wasn't part of that. So I'd stay, I'd stay on the step. But this day I was up there and um, it was pouring rain, not unusual in Ireland. It was pouring rain and I was soaked. And um, Betty's mother came out and said, it's Diane outside. I heard her say that. Mm. And I was, and she went out to the door and she said, come on in, girl. Come into the, come into the hallway, stand in the hallway. It's dry in there. And uh, Betty's almost ready because we were going to go off somewhere and I don't even know where we are going off. And she turned and walked back to me and she put her hands on my shoulders and she said, you know, Diane, you're a good girl had never had any human being say to me a kindness like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, I almost started crying when I went home, I cried. Mm-hmm. And I used that phrase over and over because they were kind words that were sent to me. I remembered and remembered like a jewel it was given to me. And I remembered and I remembered. And I met Betty for dinner. Oh, well, it would be about 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And we were all in Cork. And I said, Betty, your mother gave me these kind words. You don't know it. But that kept me going for a long, long time. And she looked at me and she started crying. And she said, Diana, we didn't know you had nothing.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So you take you take what you're given. Mm-hmm. They taught me to take that and to spin it and spin it and spin it.
0: You know, it's, it's I won't say ironic, it's coincidental. What we talked about a little earlier on and some of the things I look up on a daily basis and what I quoted to you, which was about kindness.
1: Yeah.
0: It's not an act, it's a way of life. Yes. And that's what you were being displayed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah and, it, yeah, and I remembered it, and I remembered it, and I gave uh, I gave the uh, the convocational talk oh a number of years ago down in Queens, and it w- they were the awards given to women, and there were a pile of women there from Africa, mm-hmm. and they had managed to get out of the killing fields in Africa, and some of them were brilliant, brilliant women with PhDs in engineering and God knows what, God knows what else they were given PhDs in, and I told them that lesson. I told them, you know, I was talking about on grá, mm-hmm. love, mm-hmm. love in Gaelic, uh, grá, uh, but not mad love between you and me, no. let's no, say, for instance, but love, to to cherish somebody, to care for somebody, right. to do good things, put good things in front of people. Right. And they came uh, came around to me afterwards, and they said they had got out of the killing fields, and they had studied, and they had done very well. And all those women were crying. Mm-hmm. And then they asked me, "Can I have my photograph taken with you?" And it means an honor for me because, my God, like I, I, I shouldn't have been in their photograph. They, I don't know who should have been in their photograph, Earth, Earth. but because they were, they were the heroes, yeah. the heroines of of life, carrying their babies with them. But, and uh, it, it's a lesson. It it presses a button for you because you think. Ah, yeah, okay, we do have to be kind. Mm-hmm. We do have to be loving. We do have to be caring for everybody. Because just one word, sometimes you just say one yeah. word.
0: You can kill somebody with one word. Yeah. Or you can save somebody you with one You can save word. their life. Yeah, yeah. Come back to the book. Uh, <laughs> it's, on the sh- it's on the shelves.
1: It is, yeah.
0: And um, if somebody wants to get their hands on it, um, Random House, uh, All Good Bookstores. Yeah, and on the web.
1: Yeah, everywhere. I think Amazon. And actually, uh, Austin, it was, it was um, uh, a month before, before the book came out, if they ran out of the first print. Right. They had to do a second printing. Okay. And I don't know what stage of printing they're in now. I forgot to ask them. Right. right. And there's an audio version of the book that's been done by Bartmart Studios in Ottawa. And um, they did a wonderful job there. With your it? own voice. With my own voice, because then the Gaelic is in it, you know. Then. Yeah. So you're not but it's right. not. It's not
0: just that. It's more, you know, if you're going to have an audiobook that it's the voice of the author there's an authenticity that you can create or that you have that no no one else can have but
1: it's a pile of work doing something like that everything's like, a pile of work yeah, I, you know doing all the readings you I can yeah. only do so much at a time yeah. and then you know you, you dive in you because it's in a sound studio you dive into the material and it makes it alive for you and then you live it again and then you you know my favourite thing is there is my Uncle Denny my granduncle Denny, who was a cute mare, he was a bone setter. Okay. I mean, oh God, I loved that man because he loved horses, and I love horses, and I love animals. But uh, going through that, I, I relived his, you know, his hair that stood up in his head, his blonde hair up in his head, and the way he caressed the animals, and he whispered them to them in Gaelic, and he'd even sing to them sometimes, right. you know, right. like just sing away, Oh Roma, thee, and something like that, an old song, and you think. Oh, I'd love to hear that again. Could I bring him back
0: to life again so he'd be around? <laughs> so, was it a different experience reading it out loud than having it gone through your head and writing it and reading it in in um, a draft form or whatever? Yeah, actually to take it and
1: read it like that. Yeah, it was because then I was I w- I'd be reading it, okay, yeah. and then all kinds of other things. Oh, I forgot this oh I forgot that, and, but you realise I mean you, you're limited to you know, 60,000, 70,000 words so you yeah. can't, if you forgot it, you can't put it in anyway, yes. yeah, yeah. but then it's you know, boing, 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 boing in your head, you think, oh and, and I didn't describe the sheds, and I didn't describe the cows, and I didn't describe strawberry, my favourite cow, and I didn't describe the horses. Well, of course, you can't describe everything.
0: <laughs> okay, so now we've, we've we've all just heard... And
1: donkeys, it. I love donkeys. We've just,
0: we've just heard your sins of omission. So, but but there, must have, was, there must have been also some... Um, uh, did, did you get something from reading it out loud in a way that you wouldn't necessarily have got as I say when you I
1: did yeah it there's a strength in the book yeah that i didn't know was there and right. it kind of shocks you and then you you go home and you think was that real? Like you do say to yourself, was that real? Yeah. Did I, I? Am I imagining? Am I just blowing myself up here? Am I imagining things? But one day I did ask the the producer. I said, "Could you run a bit of that to me so I can hear me? Yeah. You know, balance my voice and hear myself." And I, yeah, there is a strength in that. But there's a strength in in the words, the spoken words, spoken yes. language. Yeah. That is is beautiful. It's, yes, it's a. There's a beautiful thing I love to be read to. Maybe it's just me. I My uncle read to me at night. He'd read all of his books because he had 10,000 books. I mean, I swam in books, fell over books, sat on books in his house. So he'd read to me and then I'd read back to him. And that was part of my big education. And so I love the spoken word. I just love it. And 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 yeah, there's a strength in it. You know... Uh, you know the Japanese call poetry temple words and temple words words are temples um yeah and it 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 kind of pushed me into waking me up a little bit and thinking yeah that's a great thing to have
0: because i guess what I'm, i'm asking is like we process things differently so when we read the words come through our eyes, into our brain and the images are created. But when we vocalise those words, they're now coming back through our ears as well as through our eyes. And how that would have impacted and, and the senses that are, are stimulated.
1: You know, you know, I, I will honestly say there was a healing in mm-hmm. doing it. Mhm. It's like, I looked at me. There's an internal uh, who am I question, you know, right. the existential question that all of us do ask. Uh-huh. Who uh-huh. the heck am I? You look at yourself in the face and you think, oh, I'm getting older or something like that. <laughs> and there's always a question of who am I?
2: Uh-huh.
1: And the when you lose so many people and you're so alone as a child when you're orphaned, it's, it's, it's a PTSD situation you're always in because there's never anybody backing you, never anybody behind you. But when you read a book like that as a memoir, the whole thing backs you. Mm-hmm. Your life backs you. Your life talks back to you. And you think, I have survived this valley of tears. I have survived this, this thing we call life. And I am still going and you kind of look at it differently like you you stand outside yourself and Mm -hmm. you look at yourself and you think to yourself my god did i survive all of that and there's a kind of a wonder in your head because you live in reality you live in the present moment you live in the divinity of the present now which is so divine which is so good for you makes your eyes cast back Mm -hmm. into that well of your life and you think yeah how the heck did I do that and but I did do it Mm -hmm. and you say oh my god like this is really something
0: and I guess what I'm saying you know the way people are often advised and and suggested that they write a journal and that it's a means of, of dealing with issues yeah to get it out to put it down
2: yeah yeah.
0: In a way, what I'm suggesting is maybe that's only half the process. The other half the process is reading really it out loud because it's coming back to you. Whereas uh, yeah. that that it nearly closes that circle.
1: Yeah, it's healing. It's yeah. healing. And I didn't have nightmares. Uh, I I sometimes have. I, I can't watch war movies. Right. I can't watch movies where children are being hurt because mm-hmm. I'm there. It's too close to the bone. Right. I I I have been there. And um, I can't stand that. Um, and so sometimes if I do accidentally see something, nightmares, the nightmares start.
2: Right, right.
1: And so, but since I've written that, the nightmares have stopped.
2: Right, right.
1: And that's, you know, the, I, I'm always mourning for my father. I think I will mourn for my father till the day I die. I, I I loved him and I wanted him around and I, I it's like a thirst you have right.
2: that
1: thirst for that man to be there you do anything to have him in front of you around you and argue with fight with whatever there but there and that morning will never go away but those nightmares have stopped
0: but yet he's always with you yeah yeah and yeah. I th- yeah and I think that's probably a good place for us to stop. Oh yes. for <laughs> <laughs> Grove. Thanks a million for it's been an honour.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to hear a lovely Irish voice too. Oh God.
2: <laughs>